All right. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Deer Vein podcast. Today with me, I got Zach Farinbaugh, otherwise known as Bubby One, which is his <laughs> name. <laughs> um, so if you guys don't know Zach, Zach's from the hunting public, hunts. How many days a year do you think you hunt? I don't know. I I, I guess I guess that's relative because I do a lot of filming. Like days. How many, of- how many days a year are you in the woods? Is it like five? Would you say it's like? And we're talking. We'll, we'll talk deer hunting, not not including tur- spring turkey. It's like these are like five months or four months straight. So yeah, September, and always have started the first couple days of September, and then run it until usually. About mid-January is about the time that we stop. And that, I mean, that's what breaks in between. Like, certainly a lot of editing time in there as well. And, like, sometimes it's hard to really know that number, too, because the day's editing kind of blur in with the day's hunting because you're just (laughs) replaying the memory, you know? So it's like, yeah, it's kind of like you're playing the game and then you're watching game film and then you're playing the game. And, you know, again, hunting, filming, it's all kind of you know it's the same as far as getting experience and i think that's mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite parts about filming is you just get to go with your buddies hang out with your buddies and then you just i guess get to experience the same stuff yeah. and get more reps so that's yeah that's and you got no pressure you don't have the yeah. pressure <laughs> oh there's pre- i still feel i feel like there's almost more pressure when you're filming because like if you mess up the footage or at least i have a hard time uh dealing with like messing up footage you know so it's oh really yeah i've yeah. I've, I've filmed a few people and i don't like mentally I, they're like either always ask are you recording are you recording yeah the red lights on like <laughs> do your thing man like we're good don't worry about me and then when i'm shooting i'm like okay let's draw my bow when do i draw how do i draw where does the buck like where do i put this pin like is he stuck is does he see me does he smell me oh why (laughs) why is he putting his nose in the air like this is a problem you know and i'm like constantly like worried whereas when i'm behind the camera i'm just like yeah man do your thing like i'll be i'm not concerned about me like be concerned about yourself yeah yeah (laughs) i feel that too it's i mean it's it's like yeah it's just different i suppose it's like a totally different type of stress or concern, I suppose. But yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. And I will give it to you. Like you want to make sure the animals in focus. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's the, like, that is the, the danger. The most stressful thing ever is when you know, the shooter can see and you can't like subtle little, you know variation and angle especially in timber stuff so like the one that i think of as a great example and probably the most freaked out as a cameraman i ever have been in my life is i don't know if you watched the video where jake shot a elk last season so we would have released it like sometime in the first week of september last year in 2022 so if you watch that video right before that bowl comes in we're making the decision to move. We were going to try to get a different angle on the bowl that we had been calling to. Well, while we were calling back and forth to the one that was super close, the other one got fired up and came in, but I had turned to go back and tell the guys behind us that were calling that we were going to try to get a different angle and just lay off for a minute and get, get a little bit of a different spot Yeah, because he was hung up 
And I turn around, I hear the bull bugle. I turn around and look and Jake's already at full draw pointing in a direction that I can't see anything. And I'm just like, that all these days packing this camera around, tried so hard to, you know, make a cool video telling the story of this hunt. And here he's about to shoot this bull and I'm not even close to being able to see it. (laughs) And I end up making a couple steps towards Jake and (laughs) just so happened that the bull actually ended up closer to me than it did Jake. It was about seven yards from him and about four yards from me when he shot it and then proceeded to run about three yards past me. Yeah. Were you guys like on a hillside? Like oh, going yeah, it was real, like, real steep, really yes. steep. Yeah, yeah, I remember watching that one because I remember you like, oh, that's nuts. Because oh, you're uh, you were calling to stuff down the hill, like in like a grassy area or whatever. Yeah, we were we were kind of calling yeah. out in front of us, and the hill dropped off to our left, and the one bull was out in front of us, and Jake was watching, and was just ahead of me a little bit, and we had bumped something, but when we bumped him, we started calling more aggressive, and he started responding aggressive. But then the other one came in that had bugled a couple times, like way early, like probably an hour or maybe even two before he came in. And then he went quiet when the other one started bugling. So we moved into the one that was bugling. Well, then when everything got all riled up, when we kind of spooked something and stirred the pot a little bit, eventually the other one got fired up and came in. And it was just insane because, I mean... You just can't really anticipate that. You know, we here we're thinking, no. yeah, we're going to have to make a different move, get a different angle. And then all of a sudden this one comes in. But anyway, I was yeah. paranoid, dude. My heart sank <laughs> so hard when he was at full draw and I just thought it was over. And I mean, I would have still even, been. Wait, did, he didn't even say anything to you. You just turn around. Well, we were far like, enough away. Like it, it was such a weird situation because I had turned and was going up this elk trail and was walking back to go like signal to those guys to like kind of lay off on the call for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Hold on one sec. Sorry, somebody's no, in my house. No worries. It was just my aunt dropping something off, but I didn't know she was coming. All of a sudden, I oh, heard no, somebody I'm... in the house, and I'm just like, "That's freaky." <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm looking through my, uh, I'm looking through my YouTube watched history, and I'm trying to find this exact video. But I, I know what you're talking about, and that's, yeah, that's that's fun. That's fun. I mean, oh, it's yeah. it's exciting. It's frustrating. It's terrifying. But you're like, come on, terrifying. come on, come on, come on, please, like, let's make this work. <laughs> Yeah, I just wanted to see him. At the very least, I was like, well, I guess I'm going to get Jake shooting the bow, but I really wanted to see, you know. I, I, my favorite thing in the world is if I can get right down the bow, right off the right side. I filmed Jake shoot a buck in North Dakota last year like that, where you can see like his whole like bow and arm and the arrow go off the bow and it hits the deer. And like, that's my favorite footage ever is to get that type of stuff i always just call it down the gun barrel like mm-hmm. right down the gun barrel but yeah i when i saw jake at full draw and could hear this help coming up real fast i was like i'm not getting that but it ended up working out and ended up being <laughs> really sweet but man i was scared for a minute oh man well yeah so anyway everybody if, if you haven't got the gist <laughs> Zach, Zach's with with the hunting public and he's films and hunts basically for four months for for whitetails and elk 
um, every year and has a ton of knowledge. And today we're going to be running through um, kind of like that, that pre-rut time frame. And for me, I, what do you think, Zach? I, like I run it at like October 15th to the 31st. Like to me, that's in Wisconsin. What do you extend that or retract it or anything like that? It really depends on um, like weather is a big part of that as well. I mean, it's pretty, I feel like it's pretty common conversation in the deer hunting world. Like if you get a big temperature drop, high barometric pressure early in the season, it can even go back into September. If you have that, it does tend to make deer movement pretty dang good. So we've had some days, even like October 7th is one where we had a really crazy day with buck movement early in the evening. That's one that comes to mind. So it's like, I try not to necessarily put a date on it as much as weather, but yes, to your point, I think that sometime around mid month, that's when those, those movements really get big. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and that's something that like over the last years, probably like four or five years have really come to like my, my attention because and it, it all I kind of solidified a hundred percent for me last year. I had three buddies all kill good bucks on, I think it was, it was either October 15th or 17th. And all it was, was is a nice cold front came through. Um, and that evening, all three friends killed nice bucks. And it was the, like the one weekend that I was like pre-booked with something else. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like something that we've observed over the years and, you know, lucky to have, you know, big friend group and people in different states and, you know, friends, friends and all that stuff. And you start to see trends where even into November, December, you'll see where like all of a sudden there's one day where multiple buddies bang, bang, bang. It's like mm -hmm. whatever year, you know, whatever year it was in two, I think 2015, October 16th, man, that was the day. It was like, I shot a buck with Warb that night my friend Luke Nissen shot a big buck that night. And then there was, I think a couple other, or there was another one the night before, you know, it's just like right in this little window and it's like, bang, bang, bang. And then nothing will happen for a week or two, bang, bang, bang. And it's so mm -hmm. consistent year after year. And I think a lot of times you look at the weather and it's like, yeah, yeah, those days just made a lot of sense. Not to say that you can't get them on oddball weather days or that you shouldn't go either i just think that like for me early in the season especially october i like to pick and choose because it's like eh, that's 75 degrees and you know if i can get some other things done otherwise maybe i'll save my time to go hunting for those you know bigger bigger weather changes and stuff like that so yeah and that varies too i mean if i'm on a pattern of something I'll force it regardless. And I think that's kind of probably what we'll dive into a little bit is like patterning and kind of finding the clues that give you the confidence to take those risks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. The, uh, the other thing that I've found that's been inaccurate or like unhelpful for me is yeah, I think I've heard, I've seen it a few places, but like per the Boone and Crockett, Crockett record book, November 7th is the day. Um, and November 6th and 8th are the second and third best days of the year. I have had terrible movement 
on those three. Like I've never had personally, I've taken like the last, last year I didn't do it, but the prior, like two, three years, I'd take off the fifth to the, like the ninth, just to make sure I could do that. And I'd book it out on the calendar. So you get your booner. (laughs) Yeah. So I'd get my booner. You got it. And they were just dead. Like my cameras would be rolling in like October 22nd, 23rd, 24th. I'd be like, Oh, I'm waiting for a November 5th to the 9th. And you get out there and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the same type of activity. So my personal like, and I, to, to your point, like, don't put a date on it, put the right. weather on it, mm-hmm. you know? And the, I think, I think sometimes in my experience on those dates, I see, I've had pretty similar luck. Um, I had one little run in Ohio where those right, right around those dates were pretty sweet for me. But um, I know that a lot of years it's the same deal. It's like, mm, not anything crazy. I would rather hunt. And I know this for the Wisconsin listeners and you specifically in Wisconsin gun season kind of uh, stirs the pot during this time frame a little bit, but I like later in the month, even of November, you know, you start talking mm-hmm. November time frame. I think what ends up happening is like sometime around the 20th, give or take five days, things start to ramp up with like bucks are starting to make bigger loops. October 20th. Yeah. Yeah. So they start to make these bigger loops. They start hitting scrapes. They start doing a lot of those loops at night too, but you know, a little bit more active on the, you know, edges of as edges of daylight. And then as you get into those first couple days of November, the last couple days of October, they start actually finding a hot dough. And if you find that, well, hell yeah. I mean, it's lights out. It's crazy during that time frame. And that kind of runs until about the seventh ish, maybe the tenth. Give again, give or take. This is no not necessarily set in stone. I got these big, like you know, variations, and weather can kind of change those things as well. But then you start getting into like eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, all the way up into you know wherever gun season kind of changes things in your your state or your area. But it's like things start to continually rev up to where all of a sudden it's November 12th. It doesn't matter if it's 75 degrees or if it's, you know, 40 during the day, it's like those big bucks are moving because now they've went through that first cycle. They found their dough. They fought them off or fought off the other bucks. And now it's like, it's time to move again. But yeah, it's back to the pre-rut stuff. I think you can really take advantage of finding where big bucks are living by finding big buck sign by covering ground and just find where they're, you know, participating in making those bigger loops later in October. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And you wonder like, yeah, cause you could translate what they're doing. It'd be really interesting to see, um, how consistent they are with that October loop, what they are with that November loop. Right. Cause I, I mean, you have the, like the second rut, does that aren't bred or fawns of the year, whatever that can be bred in later November. And so you get these bucks making their original loop, they find their doe or two or three or whatever. And that's like, you know, the first half of November. And then after that, they start their loop again. And are they going to hit the same scrapes? Are they going to move around? Do are all the does in that area bred? So they're going to switch up their loop completely. 
Or are they just like, yeah, I'm bored. I'm done. Let me go back to grazing. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's all, it's, that's a, that's a, you bring up a really good point. Like that mid November, I have had more luck November 12th to like the 18th than I have. Yeah. Yeah. Seven, November 17th, baby. Give me that all day. Those two yeah. said like you add 10 days to the November 7th and that's, that's where I've had the best action. Now that's okay. just my experience too. Like yeah. by no means am I saying like, oh man, you got to do it this way. It's like, nah, do whatever you got confidence in. Absolutely. And like, I've just seen the craziest stuff on those dates. The yeah. buck that I shot last year was on November 18th and we had some really awesome days and 17th, 13th. Yeah. Elm Dwarb shoot one once on the 12th, I believe, or 11th or 12th. Yeah. And yeah. whenever he shot that the day before, it was crazy too. Like it was just, it, it's like you get past the 10th and it's just like, yeah, I mean, I'll hunt any yeah. of those days. No. And I would, I would like my, if I were to um, somehow like graph out or document, I'm sure I could, I'm sure there's an an app or a program for this, but so AI our, nowadays, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Right. Our, our land for every, uh, everybody who's heard me talk about this, but uh, you have a big egg field up on top on on both sides and we own the valley and it's a uh, the valley is probably um it's under it's under 200 yards wide and and when it really pinches down it's under 100 yards wide and i got and i and it gets got a creek in the middle so it's divided on two sides and it's thick stuff so i can put a camera in there and my cameras will light up until like november 1st and then they'll start back up they'll i'll get tricklers and stuff like or i'll get a day or a morning where I get a lot of buck activity in that uh, pinch point, but then really like the consistent stuff, like every other day or every day starts back up on like the 11th or 12th. And then it works until basically gun season, which is generally around the 20th. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of just dies off. Um, mm-hmm. and then you don't know what happens after that, but like I, to, to bring your points around, like I would agree that the trail camera footage that we have, like, uh, backs that up in our area, like you said, mm-hmm. whatever you're confident in, and maybe your air is totally different. Yeah, but... I mean, I know we were talking about Midwest whitetail days before we started recording, and like Winky always talks about November 7th being the best day, and he's shot a lot of bucks on that day. So, I mean, there's definitely proof in it that it works. I think it's just different situations, and everybody's got different, you know, style and everything. And I think some styles probably just set up better for that um early november so like for example if you're hunting an area that has tons of does i think you're probably in a pretty dang good spot late october early november you know that's where you want to be in those time frames which i guess to kind of transition back into october the pre-rut stuff that's what i'm seeking on public land daily early October even like and I'm not really worried about or I try not to worry about what happened last year or what spots were good last year it's just like there's so many variables that can change that so if the season starts let's say you just got an October 1st opener when that day starts like I'm just chipping away at finding as many deer as possible because then as the month progresses, there's going to be more bucks checking that loop. Like, for example, if you've got a one ridge where there's two does bedding there, you know, a doe and a couple fawns versus a ridge where there's six 
does bedded or maybe you know two or three ridges all in a row that are little finger ridges off the main ridge little points if there's you know six on every one of those well then there's probably gonna be some bucks making their loops you know kind of honing in on that area as the month progresses and I guess just to simplify that it's like just finding the obvious big trails I mean it's it seems so silly and it seems so like basic but like don't overthink it in my experience it's like when you find that hot spot late October it's just no brainer it's like there's deer everywhere we need to hunt here because it bucks coming through here at some point yeah I mean it's so dumb but like no it's a good point so like I've come across that a, a few times you find a you find like a mega trail and you're like, Oh yeah, this is it. And you sit down and, uh, and you or you set up your stand or whatever. And you're there for like six hours and you see nothing uh-huh. like, and you're like, all right, I got fooled by something. Like maybe this isn't the hot trailer. Maybe it's wrong timing. Like, is there anything that you can help help me out with on that? Like in terms of like, if you find a hot trail, but then you're like, Oh, here's a couple of things that uh, actually tell me like, I'm not actually going to sit here. I'm going to sit somewhere maybe off this, or I think this is all nocturnal, or maybe this is all like winter travel or something like that. I think that, yeah, the biggest thing is just trying to see if it's really active right now. So when I think of the spots that um, I've stumbled across, and this is by no means every year, right? Like this is like one time in 2016, another time in 2018. Can't remember if we found anything i don't remember finding anything like lights out in 2017 so it's like you know one year maybe you find it and maybe the next year you don't maybe that's when you take advantage of that you know time frame that's hot for for you in in november but or even later than that for that matter but when i think of you know the spots that were good it wasn't ever just a trail it wasn't ever just a little piece of sign it's like over and over and over again like everywhere i look within that region so like i i break things in my mind in blocks so whether you're hunting public or private maybe your private block is just the perimeter of the of the piece that you can hunt but on public a lot of times i'm looking from like road boundary to road boundary like where are people accessing from so when I'm making my initial loop through that, let's say it's October 5th, it's not that good of a day weather-wise, and I know that I'm going to maybe make a setup early. If I'm not seeing anything, I'm going to start moving around looking for sign. A lot of times when you hit that spot that's really good, that day you're seeing deer maybe on your way in, maybe you're bumping some does, bumping deer, whatever. But everywhere you look, it's like, it doesn't matter if it's on that ridge. It doesn't matter if it's over on that, you know, transition line. So everywhere has just got hot stuff right now. Like you're hitting droppings that are like, you well, know, yeah, still hot, you know, like literally <laughs> warm still, you know, when you taste them, it's like, man, that thing's fresh. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> man, that's alfalfa from last night, bro. Yeah. These things are eating beans, dude. But, uh, <laughs> where's the closest bean field how'd they get a mile in a night <laughs> so That's looking fair. for that and then uh, and then also on top of that i would say like buck sign being around that as well like you're walking those transitions and there's not just a, a stampede of trails but there's also you know rubs popping up kind of everywhere you look and i feel again that that's i mean obviously 
you can sit here and say like that well yeah no kidding but like yeah no kidding i mean i i think that that's maybe not overly helpful but here's here's what i want to circle back to in that how i eliminate questioning kind of to your original question like is this the right spot today is i spend a lot of time early and this is in season partially because i don't i do a lot of travel hunting like i don't really hunt a home base anymore i don't have that for whitetail i don't really have it for anything for that matter but <laughs> <laughs> which is which is cool and i enjoy that it helps me learn things on the fly but i i still was doing this on my best times even when i was living in iowa and hunting there and had time to scout i would still go back through those areas and just in season scout them to know whether or not this is hot right now or not and what you'd end up finding a lot of times is again the signs there but then you're also just seeing deer you're seeing the does you're you're set up on an edge where maybe you can see down like you know a broken river bottom like thinking or or a marsh maybe in in uh wisconsin where you're where you're up high and you're catching these glimpses of deer going back into bedding areas so you you're not only seeing the sign but you're also seeing you know deer you're just seeing general general deer. Mm-hmm. When that's the case, those are the places that I maybe check mark in my mind and I'll just keep popping around. So, you know, by October 15th, maybe I've hit, you know, five places. I go back and I think, well, out of those five places, you know, which spots were the hot spots? And you start going back to those, maybe throw like half day hunt into one of those areas and see if the trend is continued. And if it is, then you just keep, you know, fitting that into your schedule. But those places that you go into and it's like, yeah, I mean, there's some deer in here, but you know, I'm not really seeing rubs. I'm not really seeing tracks and trails that are just stampede. It's not the best of the best sign. Mm-hmm. Just leave them. I mean, maybe come back later and in, in like a month later, but I'm not really worried about that as October goes on, because if there's, tons of does in there those bucks seem to want to be back there especially once you start getting into 25 26 27 of october yeah and i think i to to your point just another portion to add is is uh you're saying it's obvious when you see the sign um but also i i think it's it's to some people they like they'll hunt a they'll get on a piece and then they'll walk around and maybe they don't find like any hot sign. They're like, well, this is kind of the best that I'm on. Whereas for you, you're going to walk around. You're like, ah, it doesn't seem that great. I'm not even going to hunt here. I'm just going to go to another spot. I'm going to go find another piece and I'm going to yeah, go somewhere yeah. else. Right. And a lot of people don't do that. They're like, okay, so I walked, you know, this 80 acre piece and I found one scrape. So that must be the best spot on this 80 acres. And for you, maybe that's like, you like, well, I'm going to walk this one piece okay, I found us scrape. I'm going to go check out these other three pieces. And on one of those other three pieces, you find six scrapes in like an 80 yard radius and they're all open and there's piss in one of them. And you're just like, duh, here I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, one argument that I've heard against like the, the uh, style that I enjoy hunting, which is really what I just described, especially in the earlier parts of the season is, well, like not everybody has that amount of, of place to go. And like, I mean, to just be brutally honest, like if you've only got that one 80 acre piece that you're going to hunt, 
then like just if they're not in there right now, then don't hunt in there. Like just don't go. Don't hunt. You're hurting it more than you're helping it if they're not there right now. Now, on the other hand, if they're there and you're seeing them or whatever means of scouting you have, whether that's you're running cameras in there or whatever, if you're actively seeing them in there, go hunt them right now. But at the same time, if they're not there or they're showing up late at night or, you know, all the sign that you're seeing, you can tell is, you know, late or maybe let's, let's just say this, let's say you can hunt a piece of a woodlot and within, you know, the 80 acre block, it's a piece of a woodlot, but it's a part of a bigger, you know, woodlot in, in total. And you walk the perimeter of the field one midday, it's noon. Hell, maybe you drive your truck out there and you go down the edge and you see that there's, you know, a few scrapes, but they're nothing blown up, but they're just kind of tapped a little bit. Maybe that night or the next couple of weeks, you start glassing from a distance. If they're not popping out there, you know, if you're not seeing anything, but maybe a doe or, you know, a doe and a fawn every, you know, like right at last light, well then like mm-hmm. probably not worth even dinking around in there and leaving your scent everywhere. To me, I would just lay off, do other things like prep yourself in other ways. Or if that's the case, like probably just spend a bunch of effort trying to find other places, whether that means traveling to different public land areas, or just spend a lot of time asking for permission. Because to me, no matter what your situation is, the goal should be to have a bunch of options. That way you can be aggressive when you need to be. And in October, you have to be, in my opinion, I suppose, like you don't really get lucky in October. I mean, maybe, maybe you do because you just, I don't know, don't, don't necessarily understand sign yet. And you just, you know, set up on it kind of accidentally. You can always get lucky. You don't need to explain it. Yeah, (laughs) it does. Yeah. yeah. It happened to me. I know that happened to me a lot when I was a kid. I'd just like blind go into a spot and like had, like, for example, when I would hunt my grandpa's property, I remember one morning going in in October and little did I know for whatever reason that season, there was bucks bedding right by the stand that I was going in to hunt that morning. And I spike bedded behind me in the dark. And then his great grandpa came in and bumped him out of that bed. But like, I didn't know that I didn't know that he was in there. I wasn't reading the sign. I wasn't, I didn't have trail cameras. Like it was just complete dumb luck. I stumbled in there. But nowadays I think that I would probably pick up on clues, even on the way in, in the dark, be shining a headlamp looking at the trail and being like, Ooh, big tracks going down in here or that scrapes, you know, smoking hot. Like I'm going to be on my toes this morning where I remember that morning in reality, what I was doing was, Oh man, just happy to be hunting again. You know, it's early season, just happy to be sitting in a stand and like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. There isn't. I mean, I was having a hell of a time. It was awesome, but I just, I don't know look back on that and think I really had no idea that was just dumb luck. Now I understand (laughs) what he was doing and I learned a lot from it in hindsight, but in the heat of the moment, it was just, I accidentally stumbled into a a buck bed, had a stand that was right off an old logging trail. It was so easy to get to. I snuck in there with no noise. I was in there super early, you know, all those things worked out. But for example, then on the other hand, if I don't know that signs there nowadays, and, you know, I don't know that the spot is hot. 
I'm probably just not going to go in there and fumble around because I don't want to unnecessarily spook does out of there. Even like if the buck's not there, why bump away your attraction, you know, your attraction for later in the season. So like there's tons of properties in the whole country that have no bucks spending a lick of daylight hours on that spot until, you know, cruise time, you know, November 7th or November 17th, whatever the day is. But the one thing that the reason they're doing that is because there's does somewhere, whether it's, you know, on the other side of the property and they're just crossing through you or they're, um, you know, maybe there are, there is a doe family group living on your property. They're going to go check those at some point. But then in my opinion, you're way better off just to save your time to go hunting men or, you acquire a bunch of different options, whether that's public, private, whatever you whatever you choose. Or truly, I think, I mean, I enjoy hunting public land. That's why I do it. But if I were to have a different life situation, I lived in a place where there wasn't as much public land, I would just ask as many people as I possibly could to get as many options, even on private land as I possibly could. And that would be my strategy. But you also have to be pretty dedicated to that life too, if you want to do that. So you just right. have to take your situation and then try to apply that to um, what's yeah. going to work for you. Right. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, I mean, people just need to in general, I, and, and I talked about this on an earlier podcast, like I, I put a number to it and I said, you want to be able to hunt around you want to be able to, to know and be able to hunt. A, my number is about 500 acres. Like that'll give you plenty of it, whether it's one public piece that's 500 acres or 500 acre pieces or 10, 50 acre pieces. Or I said like that, and that's a high 50 acres would be pretty sick actually. Yeah. That would be amazing. Right. And I remember some, uh, some dude told me this a long time ago. He's like, I I was at a, a, a show or something. I think it was the Wisconsin deer and Turkey expo. And, and I was like, man, it'd be really nice to own the 200 acre piece. And he goes, dude, I'd rather own five forties all within like a 10 mile radius. And he's like, that is what you want because, and his, his mind is like a, a 200 acre piece could hold like two big bucks, realistically mm-hmm. two, maybe three. He's like five 40 acre pieces could hold any like eight to 10. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. So he's like, you, you have much more options. You have different wind, you have different sets, you have different pressure across all of them. He's like, rather than throw all your eggs in one basket, spread mm-hmm. it all out. And I mean, that, I, that totally rings true in, in this scenario. And, and in general, a lot of people, right. And even I have friends today that are like, oh, this is the 40 that I hunt and I have this tree stand on it. I'm like, good for you. You know? And they're like, do you, you have any like, and every now and then, like they're my friends, so they don't ask me for advice at all. But right. some, sometimes they, sometimes they'll be like, so what, like, I mean, we're just not seeing anything. What can we do to improve this property? I'm like, rather than improve the, you can't improve the property, but just get like, I know there's public land 10 minutes down the road. Just go over mm-hmm. there. Yeah. <laughs> just well, go I, check out that stuff. Yeah. I think even where I grew up and I've, I've mentioned this in many a conversations I've had on this topic, it's like. Where I grew up, there was no public land close. Like we would travel to hunt public land on the weekends. That's like what we always did growing up. But around home, like to hunt um, weekdays or weeknights, you know, after school or whatever, 
like on breaks for for winter yeah. break and stuff like that i would hunt um you know places that i thought at the time were enough and i look at it now and i'm like dude i should have been asking for every last little fence corner even just a crop field in general even if i had no timber on it like looking back on that stuff which there's a lot of actually very similar stuff in wisconsin as well where it's like very very ag dominated land and and to be honest i think that i mean think and i would say at this point just yeah firmly believe that many of the big bucks in those areas don't even live in the timber for the whole first half of the season they're just living out in the crop fields like in some weird little pocket where you can't see them from the road or from your tree stand in the timber and they're kind of living in some oddball spot and i think that if i could go back i would just get a bunch of different options like that that way you know on the given year like for example you have a fence row that runs between two standing cornfields and that given year that one big oak tree is dropping acorns sun might be laying right in the edge of that corn walking 10 yards out to eat off that one oak tree and you'd never see him from the road you'd never see him until you walked right to that spot and even then he might see you before you even get to him and he just runs through the corner you're like what was that you know but if you read sign and you investigate those places and you slowly creep into him you just get a hunch you create a theory in your head okay i'm seeing you know i'm seeing around my house here i've got this one white oak tree and it's dropping a bunch of acorns this year and you know at night maybe i've noticed there's some does coming to that you know maybe a little local deer herd but down on that one fence row i got permission on even though it's only you know a, a little fence row with that one white oak tree what if there's a deer, what if that big bucks, you know, that I've been seeing, you know, last winter or I found a sheds off of, what if he's laying under that tree right now? Mm-hmm. Well, then maybe you take a mid morning or maybe you even just sneak in there and you try to hunt it, you know, first thing in the morning, maybe you use the cover of darkness for your first hunt. And then if you don't see him, then investigate it. It's like, if there's fresh sign there, well, maybe he's close by. Maybe you slip back out of there and try it again or, you know, you just continue to evolve your little theory. But I think that, you know, again, to to do that, you have to have a whole bunch of different options because they're not just going to appear on a place if they're not, if they're not, there's no reason for them to be there, if that makes right. any sense. I don't know. Yeah. No, I Sorry, mean, that, maybe that makes... get them long winded on all this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, that it makes, it makes a lot of sense. And it's, uh, there's just when, when I look at something and I, and a concept like that, there's, there's two things that go through my mind. One, that means like in my head, deer can basically be anywhere, mm-hmm. right? Like if you're, I, and I've seen it, like I have a friend who has uh, cornfields that have, we call them fingers, like little tree lines that jut out, but yeah. some of those have been cleared out and now they're just ditches, like tall grass with retaining ponds in them. And I've had, like, I've spooked, well, there, I've spooked good bucks out of the tall grass that's right next to that retaining pond. They're literally Love just sitting spots. in that tall grass and they'll go, you know, 50 yards to the woods line and eat o- acorns, or they'll stand up and go 10 yards into the corn. And then they got a little pond right there and they don't have to do anything. And mm-hmm. they know they'll set up so that they basically know when you're coming and you can't really get in on them. So I've, I've seen it happen in real life. Yeah. Um, but I also like the other option is like, you know, and, and this is a, 
a good point that you brought up is is the the theory in your head you have to believe it's true otherwise you're gonna half-ass your way in there and and you'll be like shit i knew it i should have i should have paid attention more i should have not half-assed it i should have actually done the work to Mm -hmm. creep in here and bind all this up yeah yeah one time one time jake and i in 2017 we i think it was opening day and it was just because we were dying to go hunting we and we had the time. It was one of those times where it's like, well, we can go today. Let's just go. And we had all these places and options we were excited about. But there's a spot that it was kind of marshy. You had to cross a creek. And you had to walk through a bunch of CRP. And then in the very back, it was kind of marshy. And there was a little pond back in there, like marshy pond type of deal. Kind of like one of those man-made like wetland areas, I suppose. And um, we spent hours crawling in there because it was so flat and we wanted to get up to the spot where we could shoot that water but it was so open that we decided that we were going to crawl and the reason being was all the bedding was backed by corn so it was broke off from a cornfield by a fence row and then there was some brushy stuff that kind of came from the fence row to the water so we assumed the deer would be laying there looking out and it was just you know, just flat enough and just, you know, probably that perfect height really for the deer, but not for us to walk just plain as day right across there. So we crawled in there and ended up having no big bucks, but we had a bunch of, a bunch of does come into that water hole at last light and, and get a drink. And it's like, that's the, I mean, again, while we didn't see a big buck, that's the reason you do it. It's like that hunt ended up being really exciting and a lot of fun because, we put all that effort into getting in there and we just had a theory in mind that there was a buck around there somewhere that was going to come get a drink. And like, who knows, maybe he was always close by and, or who knows, maybe we, he saw us or something, but I remember crawling in there and like the sign just kept getting bigger and more bucky, you know, and it's like, Ooh, this is really good. So can uh, you, so if we're with the mindset of um, like mid to late October in mind, mm -hmm. can you describe what, bucky sign is yeah for sure um i like i really like rubs and a lot of them so what i mean by that is like in in every spot's a little different like for example when i've hunted some hilly timbered areas sometimes the rubs just they don't rub in the same way like for example i shot a buck with my friend ben this was late season but um, when we were getting to the area, there was a bunch of feeding sign. It was not rubbed. I mean, like a lot of rubs that day was like eight rubs, like no joke, okay. like only eight. And that big buck came right to that spot. But in other, in other times where like the trees kind of, I guess the actual makeup of the trees, like for example, if you got a bunch of uh, basswood trees or silver maple or, um, those are the ones that come to mind or like willows. If you've got those, they'll rub the heck out of those things to where like yeah. I'm walking past a stand of willows and there's no rubs on them. I'm not feeling good. But if I walk past a patch of willows and every last one of them's rubbed yeah. up and some of them are just twisted and broken, it's like, okay, now we're getting somewhere. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's like looks- when we're on the marsh, it's like the uh, poplars or aspens. Like yeah, if there are not... Yep. If there are not rubs on there, man, it's not looking good. 
usually there's going to like, if I walk past a stand of poplars in, in a marsh and there's no rubs, you're like, yeah, this isn't the spot. Cause usually you walk past the spot and you're like, Jesus, there's 70. In here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that can be, you know, that's where too, I hate to say like too much detail on every, every spot. Cause like you can go from one example to the next and it looks very different, but one thing I've noticed too is like if you're in a spot that's that's hot and the bucks are really signing it up, there'll even be trees that are like not desirable rub trees that are just shredded. Like I think of like a young brushy oak. If mm. you're in a spot that's hot and those puppies are just twisted and you can tell that a buck with a with a frame went in there and just mangled everything. I mean, those are the types of things that mm. I I'm doing this on purpose because I do enjoy investigating the clues. I don't run trail cameras. Like I don't own trail cameras. I don't have them. I don't use those. My friends do. And I pay attention to like what they're seeing and like some of the trends that they see in their situations. But I like investigating sign. I like looking at it and saying, is this telling me there's a big buck in there or not? Because I think that, I don't know, I just enjoy that process. And I take a lot of pride in like, trying to get better at that where mm -hmm. if i feel like if i use trail cameras well then i'm just going to depend on the picture to tell me whether or not he's in there or not and that's boosting my confidence a ton like absolutely a great tool like yeah they're they're great because you can just confirm whether or not there's one in there or not and that's a hell of a starting point but if you're looking for actual clues like the rubs are a big one but then better yet tracks and then big scrapes. And a lot of times it's big okay. scrapes. So track catchers, you know. Track, yeah. Okay. So rubs, tracks, and scrapes. So um, as far as the rubs go, that's not my personal opinion on those, is there's so many that I find that I that I kind of go like those are a dime a dozen. I'm not gonna key in on them because I see them all over. However, um, from your perspective. Like you said, if there's a, you kind of mentioned like you hate to put a number on it, but if there's a lot in an area, like, and it's relative to the area, like if you're seeing none and then all of a sudden you see five, 10, like that's a lot. Or if you're yeah. seeing one every, you know, 50 yards, but then all of a sudden you see 10 within like a 20 yard area, like that's the spot. Is that kind of yeah. what you're getting at? Yeah, totally. And, and the other thing okay. too, that is like to take that a step to one little step further is what does the actual condition about two step there are two things i suppose on that note with the rubs what's the condition of the rub like is this smoking hot like are these things so the best situation would be you find a bunch of ones that they've been leaving since they shed their velvet back in early september and then you're finding ones that are like still green from you know last night if that's the case then you know feeling really good the other thing is i do I do believe, and this isn't every single situation, like you walk up to a, to a generic looking rub on an aspen tree that's like that big. I'm not it's necessarily like three, four worried. inch diameter. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know, it's somewhere knee to waist high. Like I'm not putting a lot of weight on what that means specifically, but if I'm going into areas and there are rubs that are fresh and they're mangled, like I'm talking like, again, that oak, that little oak brush. Yeah rub that something just went in there and did something mean to it that that i i start i'm not saying i'll put tons of emphasis on that but i make note of that in my mind like for example we were hunting an area 
in Minnesota last year. And we ended up seeing a big buck in an area and he was, he came in right to where we were set up, but it was six minutes before shooting light. So it was still dark and I could see him mm-hmm. through the binos, but we couldn't f- film him. It was still plenty dark for that, but I could see yeah. him. And uh, we found huge tracks. Like I'm talking big old stamps, like stand out. That track is different than ones I've seen maybe in years. Also seeing just tons of big, big scrapes. And then also the final thing was once we saw him and we knew kind of what we were dealing with, it's like, yeah, actually all these rubs match what his antlers look like. And what I mean by that is like, he was this tall tined, like super like, you know, when bucks get all that junk at their bases and they just got like little, they're almost like they're almost stickers, but it's also just kind of those nah. big in yeah. every rub that we would find that was, you know, a standout rub would just be annihilated. Like it would be real tall, like where he's walking in there and putting his head in there. He'd shred like alder bushes was similar to willows where they got a bunch of stems you know like a bunch mm-hmm. of branches and he would just annihilate a whole area like it was a whole you know plant and then the other thing was is when you'd find him on like a a tree that was more of your traditional rub tree there would just be so much uh bark shredded on him where like a rub, another rub for example from a different buck just was a plain old like you know peel the skin back on the bark right it's like right see exposed you know tree right for like five six inches just like kind of yeah and when you would find his spots or some of his at least the tree would just be like mangled man like it would be deep it would be gouged in so many areas and like i remember reading books especially when i was younger of people talking about stuff like that and i love finding things and little clues like that that tell you like there was a once a time where people had to pay attention to that stuff. People don't have to pay attention to it now because they'll generally just resort back to the trail camera picture, telling them what, mm-hmm. what is there and what is not. But when you don't have that, what are the clues that you're looking for? And I think that those little details are worth making note of. I'm not saying that again, I find a big mangled rub and I'm just like, Oh dude, absolutely. There's buck in here with sticker points. He's 10 point or whatever. Like I don't know. That's getting, it's getting ridiculous. But if you find that, and then along with that, you're also finding the big tracks. You're also finding, you know, high density of like big car hood scrapes. And it's like, eh, this is leading me to believe that there is a big big old boy in here. And I guess another good example of that, that I have is it was 2008, 17. And uh, I actually end up thinking, think, think that we ended up killing this buck and the same transition line the year after, but we were, and we filmed this, this is in a video, but we were walking down this edge and the year prior I'd bumped a big buck and I don't know enough about the buck to say that it was the same one or not, but I was hunting with my friend, Sean, and we bumped the big buck in that area and then ended up, um, going in late season. And when we were walking an edge out that night after the hunt, we found these scrapes and they weren't necessarily fresh, but you could tell they had been worked up a lot in October and November and they were big, big, like ridiculous scrapes where 
the dream scrape, you know, where you'd find like multiple licking branches, for example, and the whole oh. underneath of it was like, you know, in just one after another of them, like seven of those spots. And it's like, holy cow, dude, this is something worth paying attention to. So the next season, it was sometime in like probably early to mid October. It was definitely not what I would consider late. I would say it was probably the 12th if I had to pick a day. Sure. And we were walking down that same edge investigating that same sign we had seen back in December the year prior and also jumped a buck in in November the year prior. So those are the two clues telling us that this is something that we want to go check out and see if it's worth um, hunting back in there again. And we were sneaking down that edge, that same exact edge where we found all those crazy scrapes. And I remember, <laughs> this is just so dumb. We're glassing these rubs and it's like, oh yeah, like these rubs are smoking hot, fresh and they're big, they're tall. You can just tell that like a strong deer. So they were also on willows and you know, when a willow gets, when they're young, buck shred them. But when they start getting bigger and they get that little bit more ridge to the bark to them, they don't, bucks don't rub them as much, but it does seem like if there's big ones in the area, they can get in there and they're strong enough to like really make that tree. Yeah. Marked up. Wiggle, yeah. It's just like one after another down this edge. And as we're standing there looking at these rubs being like, Oh, that's pretty sweet. We look up and there's a big buck looking right at us. And he ended up kind of, getting close but it was always weary enough that he and we had a decoy it was just mm. dumb it was it was, it was <laughs> had we just had cover to be honest had we just had cover and not been sitting there looking at the sign like a couple doofuses it was jake and i and <laughs> had, had we just been you know on our toes we probably would have got a darn good chance at an opportunity at that thing because he, he just totally caught us off guard and we were you know to try to like pull it off still we had to like get a little bit into position he was always just just cautious enough but anyway yeah the whole point in, in that story is is that big big sign made me feel confident to go back and investigate it right you know, in the following years they ended up killing a buck there so actually then the next season went back to that spot lit up again like super lit up and think that i meant it might have been the same buck we ended up killing right on that same exact transition mm. line so it's like i don't know to me there's just a lot of value in checking those areas to see if they're hot see if the the sign is there see if the bucks are in there and as the month progresses they're going to start making more rounds yeah. to check those does are you so in that in like a scenario let's pretend uh let's not let's not pretend i have i have these i have these spots that i like on the public that i hunt out by my house um that are nice hot that can be and will be car hood scrapes every year i found i found almost uh like six or seven of them mm -hmm. um and if i'm if if you're telling if you're giving me advice and and i and i have a job and i can't just do 24 7 like, am I just taking a gander out there midday every mm -hmm. three or four days? Or am I like every Saturday or Sunday and maybe I take a day off and like, I'm going to hunt the evening, but I'll take off at noon and I'll pop my head out there. Like, are you, are you thinking like every three days, every four days, do you think that's too far apart? Like, would, would you think hot sign would disappear faster? Like, oh shit, they were in here two days ago. 
I think that I think that it's more um actually even more spread out. So for example, like if so like let's take one of those scrapes, for example, or like an area that you know there's multiple of those big scrapes. It's like I would want to pop in there really any time in the first 15 days of October, for example, whether it's the first or the 15th, it doesn't really matter anywhere in between. And maybe if you know right where they're at, for example, and you're like, well, I'm going to sneak in a, a, a morning hunt. And this is how I like to do it. And a lot of people like to hunt mornings and also like, depending on what your schedule looks like, it may be more challenging, but people that work different hours that would be able to put some, even just a couple hours into a morning hunt. I like going into places like that in the dark, setting up right on that spot. If I know that it's there. So then I'm in there, I'm ready to rock. I'm ready to, you know, kill one. If he comes to that spot and I get lucky, <laughs> like I did at my grandpa's right. years ago, you know, or I would go in there middle of the day, like you said, and just poke around and see if they're hot. So like, let's say it is a Saturday and it's October 12th and it's noon. Go out, look at those spots, see which one has got the big track in it from this morning. Like if you know where there's six of them in one particular block, like we were talking about sure. that reference of a block and you know exactly where six of them are and you know, you can get to those without blowing up the world. Like for example, you've got dense bedding cover over here. Maybe there's an ag field in that direction, anywhere from 200 to a thousand yards away. You got dense bedding over here and you know, under that one Oak tree on the edge of that dense bedding area, there's a pin oak that has a bunch of overhanging branches. And every year that thing's scraped up. It's like, if I go in there at noon on Saturday and there's a big old track that's either, even just a couple days old, I would still like eh. want to be in there. Yeah. He might be bedded back in there right now. He maybe took a different route in there this morning or, you know, maybe on that same transition line, you could walk and check multiple different scrapes. But whatever has the freshest sign on it, that's where I'm going to end up setting up that evening, you know, whether that's, you know, however you like to set up or whatever the situation calls for. But like being able to shoot that exact spot, that exact trail. And I feel like in the best October hunts that me and any of my friends have had, that's like pretty much what the story goes. I mean, it's a pretty it seems so dumbed down and so basic, but it's like covering the ground to find what is telling you like right now he's in there i mean you know do you know you know probably know joe rentmeister yeah yeah so he told me a really cool thing that he looks for one time and like i keep this in mind all the time and i don't necessarily hunt places exactly like this but this is the type of stuff that is like really really deep sign reading is if you're checking trails going down a marsh, you're not just looking for the trail itself. You're looking for where, or the, this is what he's, this is his words, I suppose. You're looking for the, the muddy water going back into those cattails and the mud splashed up on the cattails themselves telling you that that happened today. Same thing if you're like elk hunting. It's on my mind right now. We're leading up to that. If I'm cruising through dark timber, and I can't see but 30 yards everywhere I look. And all of a sudden I pop into this little mini meadow and there's one little water hole wallow in there. Well, if the water's 
stagnant and all the mud has sunk to the bottom of it, he probably didn't hit it today. I'm not saying that it's not still, I don't still consider that maybe fresh, but it's not smoking. It's not like, right. well, you know, there's a, there's an antler mark where he laid his head down in the mud and this, you know, the whole water is still muddy that hadn't settled yet. Similar to that, to that, uh, sign reading example that Joe taught me is in marshy country, the quality of the water in that exact moment is telling you whether or not they went down that trail today, or that's just a trail that they use at times. Right. Thing could be said about a scrape as well. Even in dry ground, it's like if that scrape, if a trail or an intersection of trails, a lot of times that's where you find the scrape is where multiple trails intersect. If that, you know, maybe the ground's too dry to, to necessarily see tracks on those trails. But within that scrape, if there's a big old stamp going towards, you know, what you could predict as bedding area. Mm-hmm. I mean, like don't go back to Mar. I mean, that's, this is, this is my, what I'm telling myself. I'm not, I'm not like saying anybody's doing this, but it's like, well, why would I go back tomorrow? Like he might be there right now. And I think going and checking those different spots and, let's say you check five or six of them and there's one track in there that you think might be two or three days old. Well, that's still your best option in that day. So that's where I would still set up in that day for an evening hunt, you know, and then, you know, maybe you don't hunt again for four or five days. And like, that's, that's also my situation a lot of times too. Like I don't, I guess I don't necessarily take October and go every single day of October. I mean, I try to hunt more in November, but even then there's big, big gaps, you know, in November that I'm hunting. So it's like, you just have to, at least in my opinion, you just have to like take your best situation for that day, Mm -hmm. read that sign and just use those clues. And I, I mean, better yet though, I mean, there's a lot of guys situations, a lot of guys are running trail cameras. So let's say on that same edge, you just got a bunch of cameras on the scrapes that are coming out of there. It's like, well, if sun went in there, like the last, I don't know, three out of seven days, it's like, Eh, right here beyond this one you know yeah I think that there's like so many just so many situations where myself included we worry about making a mistake to where we start to overthink it and then we're like well we'll just leave it alone we'll wait and i guess i just think like take the risk you know if you got if you got a clue telling you that there's something in there take that risk right. baby risk and if it. there's and if there's no clues then yeah, either you either back out or you take an even bigger risk, and you're like, "Well, I got a good entry, good exit, I got a good win. Let's see if anything shows up." <laughs> yes, and then or option. or would you move? Yeah, what do you I do? I think a final yeah a final option is is like I do this a lot. I do this probably way more than anybody would ever even believe. Is I just quit? I just be like, "Well, we didn't find anything here, and there's thirty minutes left, an hour left. Like, let's just go try to get back to the truck and glass something before dark." Like go see where, you know, maybe a bigger hop food source is. So like, for example, if you're in ag country, you make a big loop through a piece that you're hunting again, public, private doesn't matter. You just are like, eh, I don't know, man, that's, that's not right now. That's not hot. And we got 45 minutes left. Do you think we can haul ass and get back to the truck and, you know, run around glass of uh, maybe a bean field or a, uh, maybe you notice there's an alfalfa field or something that borders another property that you can hunt. It's like, maybe go glass that and just see if there's deer coming out in it. And if you see 
because to me, even the, the info of finding that, you know, that field is so hot that there's 12 does coming out in there. And like, maybe I'm not seeing a buck, mm-hmm. but I know there's a bunch of does in there. It's like, well, okay, that bedding area is pretty hot. You know, there's a lot of value in just finding deer themselves. And then you can start to like investigate an entire block, I suppose, suppose and try to find where that buck is or where he may be traveling through. And I think that, that I, people would often probably laugh at how many times I just, and I think this is not always, a that's not always the best option. Sometimes you should just park Set it up. and be okay with that. I just think that you can do both and both can be beneficial. Sure. Yeah, yeah, it's I I think it can kind of kind of come down to confidence because if you do set up and uh, and you don't see anything, you got no shit, I wasted a night of or, worse yet, you got no confidence. Yeah, you're not paying attention, you're half-assing your setup. Right, that's a problem. Yeah, and that's like it's you got to do what you're confident in, really. Mm-hmm. Like if you like, dude, I I just don't think that there's that there's hot sign. There's not hot enough sign to make me want to like set up a set up or tear down my whole set. Or, you know, take the 45 minutes. I would rather go, there was this other piece of public that I want to check out, an alpha alpha field borders it. Let's go just look at that and see what yeah. we can do. Yeah. Or we'll get an easy, yeah, get a nice night's sleep tonight. Yeah, I mean, that too. And I think it's just, you know, it, it's also situational, but. Yeah, talk, talk to me about, so something I'm really bad at is tracks. Mm-hmm. So you keep saying like, you see a big old stamp, like talk to me about tracks. Like I need help with that. So I think really it sounds so silly, but a a goofy yet extremely effective thing that you can do is just take a tape measure out there and start measuring things like, you know, get a little bit of an idea of like how tracks lay down in different areas. Um, Like they vary so much too. Like for example, if you're hunting in a Creek bottom that has like really low water, the, the banks, maybe you're steep with like sand and mud. And then, you know, that kind of runs down and it hits water. Then you can really investigate tracks. You get a really good read at like, okay, you know, this one is obviously a small deer, like a fawn or a small doe. And then you kind of get that average doe size. Then all of a sudden there's that one that's deeper, the strides longer, the um, maybe he's, maybe he's just splayed out more. Maybe he's not though. Maybe when you compare his, you know, hoof together type track, the width of that and the length of that compared to, you know, again, that smaller deer, I think there's just, yeah. you really get a good track catcher is what well, we've just started calling them. And within our group is like, and we look for that a lot during turkey season. I think that's kind of where this idea started is if you find a, if you find a big Tom track in the middle of turkey season, even if they're not gobbling, it's like, well, we're in the game here, right? This is almost as good as a gobble. Same thing goes for like a big buck track. It's almost as good as a visual. So my, my, uh, or so on the other hand, then like if you're in timber or in areas where you don't have that exposed soil, again, whether that's sand, dirt, or maybe the dirt even that you have is just so hard in that given year, given week that you're not able to pick up on those things then in timber a lot of times you get softer ground like you get that leaf litter Mm -hmm. and then below that the ground is just especially in a lot of wisconsin just has that really nice soil just really like 
I know. It's why we got such good cows and good corn, good yeah. cheese. Like uh, it, it just helps. Exactly. So when you have that though, in timber settings, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll get down and I actually put my hand into the, like into the leaves, you know, because the actual track itself is already covered or was made and then the leaves just pop back up and kind of cover it. So for example, if you're walking down a trail and I see this, especially in like big timber settings with low deer densities. And it's like right here, there's obviously been a deer that's walked down this, you know, in the last 24 hours, because you can just see the leaves are turned over and you can kind of mm. almost visualize where those tracks are under the leaves. Something that my friend Ben taught me because he hunts these areas a lot. It's like if you actually get down in there and put your hand into those tracks and pull the leaves back and investigate it, that can also be a really good way to get a get an eye on a track even when conditions aren't necessarily favorable for it. Like sure. you, you'll hear a lot of people up in the northern states do a lot of big woods tracking when the snow comes on, but obviously we're talking bow hunting like. There usually ain't very much snow, so no. it's going to be to read those tracks. But yeah. you can also then use conditions to your favor as well. Like, for example, if you've had a bunch of dry days in the first even month of of season, and you're getting to late that later October time frame, if you get a fresh rain, it's like that's a you know reset. It resets everything and allows you to get more of a visual on that fresh sign and the fresh um, tracks specifically. And I mean, yeah. just investigating and comparing, I would say is the big, best way that I, and I know very little compared to some people, right? There's master trackers out there. There's people that are so much better at, at it than me that, you know, just make anything that I'm saying, just like look pretty stupid or like, yeah, that's <laughs> second grade stuff, you know, but. Right. Well, that's, I'm, I'm at first grade. So the second grade stuff. Is helpful. <laughs> so like, yeah, if I have like a fawn track, you know, that's like an inch or two inches. Like I can get that one. Yeah. My like, so then if I'm looking at like a five-year-old doe versus a three-year-old buck, are those about like, are you looking about like the same? Or is that three-year-old buck going to be like, that doe is going to be like three, four inches and that buck's going to be like four or five? Like, do you I have, I, I'm just trying to like. I don't necessarily have numbers for it. I would yeah. say the biggest thing in those, if you've got two very like close in close proximity, like I'm going back to that, um, like Sandy Creek bottom place, mm -hmm. that's like my favorite ever because you just get like all kinds yeah, of tracks. I mean, you get you lots look, of info. I yeah, think that's. A, I mean, you bring up a good point is is look, if you're trying to get tracks or if you find yourself in an area where the soil is soft or you have it rained yesterday or something like that and you have that ability like use that to your advantage if you don't like there's other things that you can go try to find but like that's a good even point even within those areas like specifically targeting those areas where you can catch a track like really dry i, I use that example of like big timber with low deer densities like one place that we often go to find tracks in those areas. And I've done it in multiple states is going to logging roads where you've got, and I'm not necessarily expecting in every one of those situations that the deer are bedded right there, but that clue with that big track might be enough to say, well, okay, he's in this block again, he's mm -hmm. in this block somewhere. That's just confirmation. It's like taking an inventory almost and back to the sand thing and back to your question. So I don't 
get too far off on a tangent here. <laughs> I think that one thing that's, and I guess again, maybe I'm going to say something that is just totally dumb. And I think every, every track and every deer has a little bit of a different, uh, every deer has a different track, right? I mean, that's kind of one of the cool things about them. It's, it's a little bit personal, but one thing that would be different in my opinion about a buck and a doe is weight. So like, for example, on that mm-hmm. sand, Sandy Creek bottom, if you can see that he's like in there and his depth of the track is different than, you know, a lighter weight doe, even if the doe is also old and mature and that buck is maybe not even as old as like you use the example of a five-year-old doe and a three-year-old buck three-year-old buck probably still weighs more. So a lot of times I feel like those tracks just have a big impact on the ground. And especially if they're fresh, you can tell like that thing like was just in here. It just smashed into the ground and just made this huge indent. And I think even if it's not necessarily like the track, sometimes if you just see a big density of pretty nice big traction, like, yeah, there's probably, that's probably a good one somewhere in there. Like I think of the spot, a really good example is the spot that we've hunted for years. And like, we know there's, we know there's big bucks in there. We've seen them year after year. And, uh, there's a Creek that runs along the side of it. And on one side, there's a big CRP field. A lot of times all we do in that spot to know if they're there or not is go walk that Creek because it's exactly what I've been describing. It's actually one of the spots that I'm thinking of when I reference that Sandy Creek. We'll walk down that creek bottom, and we'll look at crossing trails. And a lot of times, when the bucks are in there, those crossing trails not only have the tracks, but they also have rubs on them. So like you can pop up on the bank in that deer trail, and it'll be signed up right on that creek crossing. and, And there's a big rub right there and tracks going across right there it's like okay well he's using this he's going up into that field to bed somewhere in that grassy field yeah in in that situation too just by reading the sign down that creek we know within an afternoon whether or not it's worth hunting in there or not yeah there'll be like big buck tracks up and down that puppy like no matter where you look there's like oh that's a big track oh that could be a big one oh that could be a big one and it's like you're just looking at these big wide deep like everything about them is just like whoa that's bigger than everything else we've seen you know you're basically taking the average in a situation like that where you're looking at you're sifting through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tracks old new whatever obviously the newer the better but it's like if you're looking at tons and tons and tons of tracks it's like you're taking an average just generally making up some average in your head maybe you put your hand there maybe you take a tape measure down there whatever it is that you're using to measure that average and then the ones that stand out that are just bigger than that average is like a lot of times just a big confidence boost and it's held true man like sometimes we've hunted that spot and even done observation setups where you can see a big area and it's like yeah the tracks weren't there the rubs weren't there and you don't really see much and then other years it's like well they're here and then you see them you know almost almost like you know, as simple as, I mean, it is, it just is, it's as simple as that, like that spot, that's how we read it. And it's awesome. I don't know. It's just an awesome little strategy. And it, again, this isn't every spot. It is. And you guys just cover, you guys cover so much ground, like in a season and you Mm -hmm. have the collective knowledge of, of your entire team. Like, okay, I got like, 
yeah, dude, we had a killer hunt and here's how it went. And, and it's, it's also really important to like, we had an awful hunt and <laughs> we thought yeah. it was going to be great. And here's yes. like why we didn't, we didn't check this. We didn't check that everything on the to- topo and the aerial looked good. But then, you know, we went in there in the morning. We just didn't see anything. We walked that whole block and there was no fresh sign. Yeah. And I so think we're, that's we're the thing that moving somewhere else. Yeah. I just always want people to keep that in mind too. Like when we're saying all these things, like there's a lot of days where you just don't find, I mean, most days you don't find what you're looking for. Most days you don't shoot a buck, right? Like most right. days you don't see one. Hell, most months you don't even see one. It's just like, you have to, you have to just continue to, I guess I don't, I don't want to say it that way. You don't have to do anything. You can do it, whatever the hell you want for that. I mean, <laughs> that matter, but like to me, getting the reps of checking out different areas just helps you have more reference points, right? Like, well, you know, two years ago, it did look, you know, similar to this or, or that spot over there looked like this, but this spot looks like this. And this Mm -hmm. is better. Like this is more of that big buck sign that I'm looking for. So I like to take a whole bunch of different examples in a season, in a week, in a whatever, so, so I guess the progression of yeah. this, so I'll start from the beginning and I'll just talk about like, uh, being even like a home base place. We'll just use that because that's, that's what a lot of people are doing in October. seems like most people spend their, you know, vacation time if they're going to do that for like a, a week long trip in, in November. So let's just say in October, it's like, you look at the map you say, okay, these are the places that I'm the most interested in. And maybe there are even places that you'd scouted in the um, like off season, like winter, you know, scout season timeframe. And for whatever reason, you've maybe found a shed or maybe you found some of this big buck sign that we're talking about, but you found it in February. One mistake that I've made is I've got hung up on a spot because of what I found back in scout season. Right. Oh, I'd sure. be in there and I'd see, oh, dude, this spot's got to be so sweet. I go in there and don't see anything. <laughs> and I actually for multiple years, like 16, 17 and even 18, I would find these spots scouting and then I get so fired up on them. And then I'd go there and it, you know, ended up hunting something totally different because I was hunting, ended up, you know, going to where the fresh sign was and right. you know, just set up on those spots and they just weren't hot at that time for one th- reason or another, because And if you look at a spot in February or March, all those signs and clues are relating to what the food sources were at that time. They may be completely different. I mean, we're talking, we're talking like rain, the amount of rain, the amount of rain or lack of rain, the amount of acorns. Um, I mean, the amount of sunlight, I mean, maybe maybe natural disasters happen like a tornado or something like there's all these different factors, public, private, whatever that could change an area. Um, And by all means, there are some places that are just consistently good year after year and maybe for, you know, a couple decades, even year after year, that spot's hot and bucks bed there. I mean, there are those places. Mm -hmm. There's also a lot of situations where things change. So I'm looking at the map. I'm saying, okay, these five to 10 spots are like, top priority and you kind of you know make that little mental list of you know the north ridge that's number one like man that spot's got a bunch of white oaks and you know i know that those white oaks are dropping in in 
this general area. And then spot number two, the marsh spot, and you're like, man, I saw, you know, a bunch of good buck sign going in and out of there. And I'm pretty confident that there's some beds in, in back in the, in the cattails there. And, you know, you kind of come up with this list of places. And then once the season opens and you can like actually kill one when, you know, you find the hot sign, then I like to just poke into every one of them or whatever that time frame looks mm-hmm. like. Again, a couple of different examples would be like maybe go in blind and set up first thing in the morning and then make a little scouting mission. Maybe you go in midday and, you know, check Plan field edges. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, toward... continue on. No, you're good. You're good. Mm-hmm. Um, just check those, you know, different trails going in and out of these potential areas. And then um, you can also make observation setups or if you just want to go in and set up on a spot like by all means you can do that i just think there's more risk in that where if you don't know for sure that the food source is close by or something is there that makes them want to be living in that specific spot then the risk is is if you don't see anything and you lose confidence in your favorite spot and you didn't get any leads for the next hunt then you're still at the same spot that you were on you know, before the season started, you're still here sitting here with this list actually in a worse spot now because your number one spot now is like, Ooh, I don't know, dude, like it didn't, I don't have any confidence now. So to me, I'd rather just go check those places, maybe throw a morning hunt on on an opening day on Saturday morning, commit to something. Then if you don't see anything, you're right to scout and you're right to like checking those spots. And, And in a weekend, you can accomplish quite a bit for the next weekend or, you know, maybe Wednesday night, you know, your wife's going to, you know, do something else and hang book out. With club. Her Why yeah, night? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And they're going to do that. And you're like, oh man, this is my chance to go hunt. So now you, know, you spend all Saturday and Sunday getting leads. Now Wednesday, you're going in with a purpose and confidence. And I just, yeah. I like that style. I mean, I feel like everybody at THP likes that style. That's, that's very yeah. amongst our group. And it's since we've started doing that, the hunts have just like got so much better as far as getting a actual visual not not always an opportunity but getting a visual i mean yeah yeah so i mean it's just yeah what it comes down to is is kind of almost where we started out here which is you know getting a lot of different spots and a lot of different hot spots where you think there's going to be stuff making your rounds and and trying spots out like you said like i i love the idea of a of a quick morning hunt, especially in like earlier October, you're basically sitting for an hour and a half or two hours. Mm-hmm. And then you're kind of like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> like I'm yeah, on by 9am. You're like, hey, it's getting pretty hot and the sun's beating down on us. Yeah. And then you're like, all right, cool. I'm going to go check this, check that, check that. And then that'll, and that might even give you an idea for that evening. If you're going to go mm-hmm. that evening. Oh, totally. Right. Yeah, you I mean, could you move be... 150 yards and be like, oh, I should have been here this morning, yeah. but I'm going to yeah. be here tonight. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's, I think that's a, a very good um, or very realistic thing that could happen. I just, yeah, don't get, don't get too caught up in like, uh, there's no sure things, I suppose. And that's at least my opinion. Like there's just never a sure thing. So do like you ever, attached. do you ever, um, like if you're, if we're, we're mid October, mid late October and you find like, you know, that transition line where you got all the, all the scrape branches plus the big, you know, scrape below and you sit there and you don't see a deer. Like are, are, do you ever go like, you know what? I, I understand that I didn't see a deer today, but I'm going back there tomorrow. Yeah. And do you, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. 
times it's two for two without seeing deer or three for three even i mean i, I definitely i did that in minnesota with, with my friend keith back in last october we set up in these areas like there was this spot man that we we're finding it was like right on the edge of this marsh and there was no sign of other hunters in there and as soon as we got off the road it was like giant scrape and then we kept going down a deer trail giant scrape jumped a doe and it's like dude and then all of a sudden it was like boom 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 big ones hit smoking hot like right now or you know like yeah in the last 24 hours at the like 24 hours would have been late you know these are hot we set up on for like two or three like two nights i think and maybe a morning never saw a damn thing and, <laughs> and then and then ended up hunting our way way back in there and the whole way is the same thing there was just sign everywhere and like to be honest i don't necessarily know that we ever like fully figured it out we ultimately came up with the theory of like yeah we're just hunting stuff that's way outside of the bedding area they're coming from way over there on private land and they're just signing their whole way through here but you know i guess i don't know that for sure i'd love to go back and investigate it in like a uh you know i guess springtime setting where you can like look at it all big picture and really dive yeah. in there with no risk but put a trail know. camera in there zach yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, really, that like if that's if that's what people like to do, like that's no, that would I mean, that would tell you like if they're hitting it between eleven and two a.m. Right? Yeah, I would love to know, dude. I would love to know. That's one of those spots where it was like, ooh, this is just so frustrating because yeah. I mean, there was big trap. I mean, it was everything, dude. We were hitting some weird sign in there, and we ended up the last night we hunted in there we pushed way up into there was a bigger denser like i guess i would just describe it as more of like a bigger timber block for the area where we were hunting was kind of more marshy plains mix on the on the public but we got into some real brushy stuff close to the boundary where we thought maybe they would be coming out of the out of the private out of that bigger block of timber and we had in one of our midday scouting missions we had found this little opening in the brush that was real grassy and there was tons of rubs in there and, and big fresh scrapes so like just an extension i mean this is this is probably 600 yards away from where we had been setting up further out towards the cattails and stuff but now we're in this brushy stuff and it's like oh man this is it this is the spot now like we got it figured out and we we hunted in there and right towards last slide it was like you could hear deer moving back and then it's like oh here we go and then we had two dinks come in <laughs> right <laughs> but, but that kind of helped us get a little bit you know closer more, yeah and a little bit more of a theory of like well maybe they really are just coming from that habitat type not the stuff that was you know marshy or whatever like we had just totally assumed that they were just bedded just inside the cattails there and maybe they were, and we were walking past other bucks too. I don't, I just, I guess that's what I, my point of like, I don't really know at the end of the day, it's still a mystery to me, but I think about that one a lot and yeah, yeah. I'll absolutely have so many, fa like so many times, man, where you're like, oh, this is it. You settle and your confidence is high. And then you get kind of that punch to the gut and it's like, it mm. happens, did it? And I just wanted to, I was curious about that because I had like a 95% chance that you were going to say, Oh yeah, I've been there because in, in every, everyone's kind of been there. So what I, what I want to say to everybody listening is, is really, if you find that sign, that's awesome. It looks great. And you're like hot on it and you're like, hell yeah, I'm going to sit here. 
and it might not pan out and you might have to go find some other sign. Or like you said, you might be too far. They might be laying in at night and you got to go, you got to go deeper. You got to go further back in. You got to go check a different property line. And maybe it's just, it's a, uh, I call them um, like hunters can get baited by bucks in that sense. Like you get baited to sit on that spot and sit there for four days while they're giggling at you 200 yards away. Yeah. And they're never going to make oh, yeah. it until yeah. after dark. Well, and worse yet, I mean, I feel like in more broken habitat, that can get even further. I mean, you could just be by stuff that's like hundred yard, hundreds of yards, mile, a mile away. You know, they could be making this loop at night that's telling you. And, and I think one of the biggest, most common things that like hunters make the mistake of, and it really comes back to the 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 he's not there right now is they'll look at a picture of a big buck they get a picture of a big buck in the middle of the night and then they start hunting him early and it's like i mean if he's if he's just never showing up there or worse yet there's like not really sign that's telling you that he is spending an amount amount of time there like obviously your trail camera isn't telling you everything either right like he could be showing up only at your trail camera at midnight but he's actually just bedded 300 yards over there that could totally be the case but mm -hmm if you're like consistently not seeing that thing, you've never seen them, you're only getting them on one spot on a camera or something or whatever, or, or better yet, you've got a lead that like a neighbor that's telling you like, Oh, he's always on my property. Well then like, just don't, I don't know. My opinion at least is just like, don't even hunt there yet. Like maybe right. I'm definitely when they start cruising and spending more time, you know, covering edges and stuff to where you could potentially catch him looking for does, then invest your time in that. I'm not saying you can't kill that big buck, but you probably ain't going to kill him on October 1st if he's, you know, bedded a mile over on the neighbors. And I just think that that gets kind of amplified in, a, yeah. you know, like a broken settings, like like a eastern Wisconsin setting, for example. Sure. Like maybe yeah. he's got a little, yeah. a little wood lot over there, but he's showing up on, you know, the other guy's camera. But he's doing that big, big move at night, checking those does at night. I mean, we've all been, I mean, in Wisconsin, y'all can shine too. So it's like, if you're seeing him out in the middle of the field in the, in the dark, it's like, well, that's when he's doing those things. Like, <laughs> Right. Yeah. Your field edge scrapes that you're hot to trot on, but he yeah. ain't touching those until 10 PM. Right now, with that being said though, too, I mean, I think one of the things like is easy to do as well is I think a lot of hunters then hear that and then they're like, well, you know, it's only worth like only worth hunting in the deepest, darkest bedding areas in October. And you got to be tight to them. You got to be in a staging area and blah, blah, blah. I'm like my buddy, Eric, Eric Barber. I don't know if you're familiar with it, Eric or not, oh, but yeah. he shot like two, I think maybe like two or three years in a row. He shot bucks in early, like early, early season. Yeah. Like right away. On public. Like I know. He I, just know. I, I, I asked him to hop on the podcast and talk about it. And he was like, I, I do, but no, because there's, 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 it's too, like, there's too many people that would have a general idea as to where I am. And I'm shooting these thing on things on field edges on public ground. And it's like unheard of. And I'd, I'd like to keep it that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, which is, which is, yeah, is, is understandable. I just think that that's, you know, another, another thing to keep in mind though, like, just use your instincts, man. Like, I think when I think of hunting and this, this is kind of a good way to wrap up a lot of the things I've been talking about. It's like, what I love about hunting is, is 
you can just use your instincts and you can tap into this like i don't know game that is so uh it's it, like people have been doing that for years and years i mean for, since humans existed they've been using the clues they've been hunting you know when i think of hunting i think of actually hunting something down like putting together a plan for you know formulating a theory putting together a plan and then executing that and like hunting down an area i don't necessarily just think of i'm going to throw up a stand and sit there i think of what can i do to improve my odds to get closer what are the clues telling me so whatever your situation is it could look a lot different from person to person from state to state even from property to property your strategy about how you go about doing that can look a lot different like we've talked about so much about finding sign but like and we mentioned i mentioned it a little bit but it's like observation setups are also a hell of a tool yeah. in october so whatever your situation is like hunt the area down and like think outside of the box, think about how he could be using all the things to his favor to not get killed by you. You know, what is he doing to outsmart you and just try to think, you know, from his perspective and try to figure out the clues and create those theories and go in and, you know, play with confidence, just find the things that make you feel confident and just execute them. And like, just enjoy that whole process and like, don't necessarily get too worked up about, you know, whether or not you find it or, you know, if you're not feeling it, man, just keep moving, just keep checking out different mm -hmm. things. And you'll, and, and also I think that will help you in the long run too. Look for so. that. Yeah. No, it's a great way to wrap it up. Look for that. Keep moving. Look for that hot sign, sit it. If it ain't there or you ain't confident in it, keep moving. And I think one of the other things that, that, you went on said was you're you're checking that whole block like every time mm -hmm. right you're you're mm -hmm. walking the whole thing and then you're and then you're making a decision based on after you walk the whole thing so there's no fomo of what's over right. that what's over yeah. that ridge right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. for sure yeah and I, right. yeah and i think one last thing to mention yeah, yeah. on that i don't want people to like i feel like it's something that some people get a negative opinion about it's like i'm not just blasting through the woods either like these are these are moves that are like specific, trying to be quiet when the time's right, like not just being foolish out there. Like you got to kind of still, that's, that's again, one of those instinct things where it's like, okay, I'm going to push the gas a little bit here when the, 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 you know, I'm on a trail and the woods is wide open. I'm close to the road, but then I'm going to pump the brakes when I hit the marsh edge, you know, when I start hitting that thick cover, now it's time to slow down because I might be bumping deer in there now, not to say that you know i don't bump beer on accident i absolutely do but like that's going to happen if you're a hunter you're going to make mistakes yeah. so i just think like use your instinct cover that ground and you know get the spots that make you feel confident that's right that's right don't be a prime timer <laughs> <laughs> exactly all right well thank you zach i really appreciate your time today man i really appreciate yeah, no dropping all this info on us and helping us out um thp youtube Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all the fun stuff. Yeah. Right? The newest thing that we just started is a THP podcast channel on YouTube. So we started filming all the podcasts that we're doing. And I'm oh, pretty yeah. excited about that. I'm just hoping to cover a bunch of different topics and just continue to, I guess, share, you know, really just share a lot of failures and what we've learned from those failures. <laughs> right. No, that's fantastic. And now it's a, it's its own YouTube channel. So mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. So everybody listen and check that one out. Subscribe there. If you want to listen to these guys. 
uh, a chat about all their stuff. And for that, so thank you again, Zach. And if you want to find Zach personally, what's the, is it Instagram or is it Facebook or what's the. Yeah. I just really do Instagram these days about all, all that I'm on. But okay. I also really appreciate you having me. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I felt like we covered a lot of fun things. I enjoyed it. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks of for course. having me on. Anytime. Thanks for anybody listening. Yeah. Was, that was yeah. a lot of fun. No, I hope, uh, I hope by the time this airs, this podcast airs, uh, your ACL is, is, is healed up and you're scooting around and you're doing your thing. It's starting to, <laughs> does it look gnarly? Ooh, that's not, I mean, that's not so bad. It looks all it's right. Not, yeah. It's getting, it's getting there. I mean, yeah. Swelling's gone down significantly in the last, I don't know, couple months. So that's good. good. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, everybody, thank you for listening. Really appreciate your time. Uh, if you guys enjoyed the podcast, please like, subscribe, tell a buddy about it, tell a friend. Um, that's probably the best and fastest way the, the podcast grows. And then also, if you would, if you got a, a few extra minutes, leave a review. That's fantastic. Uh, really helpful there as well. So thank you, everybody. And we'll catch you next time.